As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us bow for a word of prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Therefore, illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today comes from the book of Judges, chapter 15. We'll begin with verse 1 and carry on through verse 17. This is quite a story. The book of Judges is a pretty wild book. It kind of reminds me of the Wild West, back before uh, the West was developed and well-governed. Uh, There were all these regional pockets of self-governance and a lot of dysfunction that went along with that. The refrain throughout the book of Judges is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In the midst of this wild time, a number of biblical heroes lived. One of them is Samson, quite a character. And we pick up within the story of the life of Samson today in chapter 15. So I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. After a while, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, bringing along a young goat. He said, I want to go into my wife's room, but her father would not allow him to go in. Her father said, I was sure that you had rejected her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister prettier than she? Why not take her instead? Samson said to them, This time, when I do mischief to the Philistines, I will be without blame. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took some torches, and he turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches... He let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Then the Philistines asked, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken Samson's wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will not stop until I have taken revenge on you. He struck them down, hip and thigh, with a great slaughter, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. The men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom, and they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What? Why then have you done this? And Samson replied, As they did to me, so I have done to them. They said to him, We have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson answered them, Swear to me that you yourselves will not attack me. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will not kill you. 
So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. Then Samson found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached down and took it, and with it he killed a thousand men. And Samson said, With this jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. When he'd finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and that place was called Ramath Lehi. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 30. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's often been observed that wounded people wound people. Stories of these kinds of happenings abound. Sometimes people's wounds seem to define everything they think, feel, and do. And when people try to help them, they push them away. Their wounds are too fresh, too painful, and must be defended against even benevolent outsiders. A woman whose first partner was unfaithful is left feeling betrayed, and as she dates others, she can't help but push them away when the relationship gets serious because she can't risk going through all that pain again. A man who's bossed around at work is left feeling powerless, and when he comes home humiliated and exhausted, he lashes out and grasps for control, demanding that everything be kept just how he wants it. A bully whose parents ignore him at home is left feeling forgotten. So at school, he uses fear in the form of his fists to make sure that people know when he is around. Wounded people wound people. Hurt people hurt people. Today's story from Judges illustrates the way in which wounded people wound people. The Philistines torment the people of Israel throughout the book of Judges and beyond. And the people of Israel don't hesitate to torment them back. Woundedness fuels skirmish after skirmish between these two nations. Samson especially is a wounded wounder of Philistines. 
His troubles began when he fell in love with a Philistine woman who goes on to betray him. And when her father refuses to allow him to see her, in the heat of the anger of a desperate and betrayed lover, Samson attacks the Philistines, burns down their crops right in the middle of the harvest with 300 foxes, as one does. The Philistines, of course, respond by killing Samson's wife and her father, and so Samson retaliates and strikes the Philistines with what the text calls a great slaughter. So then the Philistines counter and attack the people of Judah. And now this situation has escalated from familial dysfunction to a national conflict. So the people of Judah hand Samson over to the Philistines to try to stop this onslaught. But not to be deterred, Samson, who has great strength, breaks free from the ropes that bind him and kill a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone. A fresh jawbone, the text is careful to point out. It's a nasty cycle of violence. On account of his wounds, which accumulate as the cycle of violence continues, on account of his wounds, Samson wounds others. And we might wonder, if Samson can't control his woundedness, can we? Are the wounded condemned to wound others? Is it inevitable? Do wounded people always wound people? Do our wounds ever heal? Now, when a wrongdoing happens, a debt is created, right? It may be a monetary debt, but it could also be a debt of emotional or physical pain, a debt of trust, a debt of dependability. And the person who has been wronged, the person to whom the debt is owed, might choose to try to recuperate that debt. And this, my friends, is what we call revenge. Payback is pursued, and jawbones go flying. Back and forth retribution stands at the center of our text today. As the Philistines approach, the people of Judah ask, Why have you come up against us? And the Philistines answer, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. So the people of Judah go to Samson and say, Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why then have you done this? And what does Samson reply? As they did to me, so I have done to them. Both the Philistines and Samson play the same card, right? They deserve it. He did it to us first. I owed them one. He started it. Both sides appeal to the deserved due of the other to justify their revenge. The only way to stop the cycle of repayment, the cycle of indebtedness, the cycle of revenge, is for somebody to absorb the debt, for somebody to put down the jawbone. Because debts don't vanish out of thin air, for a debt to go away, it either needs to be repaid or it needs to be released. When someone is indebted to us, we can either take out our just revenge and try to get even, or we can forgive. Because to forgive is to absorb a debt. That's what we see in Jesus' parable of the king and his servants. The king is owed a debt, but rather than claiming his due in the form of selling off the servant's possession and family, 
which is how you would have reclaimed your debts in the ancient world. Instead of reclaiming his due, the king absorbs the debt and forgives that which he is owed. Forgiveness is always costly. It costs something, and that's why I suppose it's an integral part of discipleship, because discipleship is always costly. To stop the cycle of violence and to escape this vortex of revenge, it's not just that the owed party needs to take a break and cease its operations. It's that they have to absorb the debt. They have to agree not to have the last word. They have to agree not to reciprocate the most recent affront. They have to agree not only to lower the jawbone, but to drop it altogether. Samson was deeply hurt, deeply wounded by the Philistines. And certainly he had been mistreated, right? Samson wanted to get them back. He wanted to get even. He wanted to settle the score. Clearly he had a bone to pick with them. I'm trying so hard, y'all. But you see, his pursuit of revenge only led to further retaliation and escalation, leaving Samson more and more wounded. But before this final cataclysmic slaughter, Samson could have dropped the jawbone and walked away. He could have absorbed the debt, but he doesn't. If he's going to be wounded, he's going to inflict wounds too, right? That's how you get even. Misery loves company. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a wound for a wound. Wounded people wound people. But what would have happened if Samson had put down that jawbone? What would have happened if Samson, like the king in Jesus' parable, had forgiven the debt that was owed him? We might wonder if the history of warfare between the Israelites and the Philistines might have turned out differently because what's happening in the book of Judges is just the beginning. Now, not all debts are equally easy to forgive, of course, right? A monetary debt is easier to absorb and recuperate if you're rich than if you're poor. Harsh words are easier to forgive if they're spoken against you than if they're spoken against your children or your spouse. Dishonesty is easier to forgive if it happened once than if it's chronic and happened continually over time. Some debts are easier to forgive than others, but no matter how difficult a certain debt may be to forgive, forgiveness always begins with a decision. A decision to put down the jawbone, a decision, a choice that lies within our reach. Now, there's plenty we can't control about forgiveness. We can't control whether or not the person we choose to forgive even acknowledges their wrongdoing and their need for forgiveness in the first place, right? We can't control how long we may continue to feel the pain of our wounds in our bodies, perhaps as a burning anger in our upper chest, a racing heart, shallow breathing, or just the heavy slumping shoulders of a burden. We can't control whether those around us will support us or resist us in our willingness to forgive. There's a lot we can't control about forgiveness. And it's mostly the emotional side of forgiveness that's hard to control, right? We can't make ourselves feel like we've forgiven if we're still really upset about it. 
We might try to hide those wounds. We might try to mask our sadness or our anger or our fear. We might try to act like we've forgiven and and moved on when, in fact, our hearts and our spirits continue to ache. The truth is that no amount of elbow grease and sheer determination, no amount of business as usual can bring the feeling of forgiveness under our control. But what we can control is the decision to embark on the journey of forgiveness. We can decide, I want to forgive, even though I don't know how I'll ever feel like I've done it successfully. We can decide, Jesus tells me to forgive, so I'm going to give it a shot, even if I can't imagine how it'd be possible. We can decide, I want to begin the journey of forgiveness, even though I have no idea how long this journey might turn out to be. You see, we can't always control how we feel about forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't begin with an emotion or a feeling. It begins with a decision. Forgiveness is something that we resolve to do, sometimes in spite of how we feel. Forgiveness is a decision to put down that jawbone, not because our wounds no longer hurt, but rather because we decide that we do not want to be one of those wounded people who wounds people. Even though we often can't control how we feel, the good news for us today is that the pain of our wounds is the raw material for the work of God's Holy Spirit, who can bind up the brokenhearted, who can set the captive free and release the prisoner, who can illuminate the darkness. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not easy. Sometimes forgiveness takes an awfully long time. Sometimes we have to forgive others. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves. Sometimes forgiveness requires a dramatic change in lifestyle, a courageous decision to change the nature of our circumstances or our relationships. Sometimes forgiveness requires the help of friends or therapists or psychiatrists. Forgiveness demands perseverance through setbacks and patience through ups and downs. All of that is true. But friends, do we not believe in a God who can deliver? Do we not believe in a God who works wonders? Do we not believe in a God for whom nothing is impossible? So the pain of our wounds is in the hands of God's Spirit. We can't always control how we feel, but we can control our decision to begin the journey. We can decide to drop the jawbone. I wonder about the journey of forgiveness of the king in Jesus' parable. We're not told much about it. We don't know whether or not the king continued to feel resentment toward the servant whose debt he absorbed. We just know he chose to forgive the debt. He chose to put down the jawbone. We don't know whether the king ever forgot about the servant whose debt he absorbed. After all, probably better to remember for it would be unwise to lend him anything again. But we just know that he chose to forgive the debt. He chose to drop the jawbone. We don't know whether the king ever got burned again, seven times or 77 times, even if he took all the smart steps to protect himself. We just know that he chose to forgive the debt. He chose to put down the jawbone. 
You see, friends, it is not always true that wounded people wound people. Wounded people are not condemned or destined to wound others. It is not inevitable. For if in our woundedness we decide to begin the journey of forgiveness, we decide to forgive the debt, we decide to put down the jawbone, we can become, by God's grace, what Henry Nouwen calls wounded healers. You see, when we put down the jawbone, we open ourselves to the work of God's Spirit to move us from minds bent on revenge to hearts filled with compassion for others who are also wounded. A wounded healer is someone whose wounds lead them not to seek payback, but with the compassion of the king to release the debt, to put down the jawbone for the sake of their own freedom. A wounded healer is someone who, for the sake of their own freedom, has come to terms with what has happened in the past and opened themselves to God's transforming work. Nowen writes that all of us have certain wounds, and we can't escape our woundedness. But when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become instead a source of healing for others, it's then that we have become wounded healers. And what's the best part about being a wounded healer? It makes us more like Christ, who was himself the quintessential wounded healer, right? Now and observes that Jesus is God's wounded healer because by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death brought joy and life. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection brought a community of love. And as followers of Jesus, we grow into the likeness of Christ when we allow our wounds to bring healing to others. This is the shape of redemption. So may we practice forgiveness as Christ commands us that God's spirit might transform our wounds into sources of healing for others. And may we be willing to put down that jawbone to release the debts we are due and step into the freedom that comes by the Spirit's grace. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God.